Hello, you're listening to Murder Bird, a podcast where we look at crimes involving women and girls. My name's Sophie. You'll have to forgive me if you hear any background noise this episode. I'm recording a bit earlier than I normally would and I live in a terraced house now, which means you can hear everything. And I have a neighbour who likes to, you know, every every day for about an hour, um, check that his car can still break the sound barrier. So I apologise if you hear that in the background. I'm still getting used to the best place to record, so just bear with me, please. This episode is the first of season two. Nothing has changed. Um, Still going to be the same stuff, but i just like to break it up, make it nice and neat. So welcome. Thanks for sticking with me for 11 episodes. This is the story of Renee Marsden. Renee Marsden was born on the 15th of October 1992 in Fairfield Hospital, Sydney, Australia, to parents Theresa Marsden and Jamie Deeth. Renee's parents separated when she was two years old, and in 2000, when Renee was eight, her mother remarried a man named Mark Marsden. When she was 18, she took her stepdad's surname by deed poll. She had a close and loving relationship with her family and friends and in 2013, when she was 20 years old, she'd been talking about moving out to share an apartment with her cousin Stephanie. It was an exciting time for Renee as it grew closer to her 21st birthday. She was looking forward to celebrating with her family and friends. But there was one important person who would be missing from the celebrations. Her boyfriend, Braden Spiteri. Although they had been in a relationship since late 2011 and they planned to marry after her 21st birthday, Braden could not actually be there as he was incarcerated at Goulburn Jail, New South Wales, after committing a driving offence that resulted in the death of his best friend Richie. In the winter of 2011, Renee disclosed to her mother Teresa that her friend had introduced her to a boy she had a crush on, Brayden. They were communicating by text and Facebook, Brayden obtaining a mobile phone after his lawyer was contacted by the same friend that had originally introduced them. The friend that had introduced her to Brayden was a trusted confidant, her best friend since school, Camilla Zidane. The relationship evolved quickly. Braden explained to Renee that he had forfeited his right to visitors in exchange for a shorter sentence, 
and that they couldn't have the traditional phone call as he wasn't allowed a mobile. Instead, Renee would speak to Brayden and he would respond by text message. Usually, they would communicate via text and Facebook. And in December 2011, Brayden reached out to Renee's mum to reassure her of his intentions with her daughter and that he wanted to see how things would work out once he was released. Renee quickly became besotted with Brayden. He came from a wealthy background and had previously attended King's School, a prestigious independent boarding and day school. Before the motorcycle accident that killed his best friend and sent him to prison, Brayden had been a builder in high-rise buildings, and he had also taken over his father's lucrative construction business. The picture of Brayden showed to Renee by Camilla showed an attractive young man. He was the all-round package, and in January 2012, Renee went to Bondi Inc. with Camilla and got B. Spiteri tattooed on the right side of her chest. That same month, she told her mum that she was in love. But like all honeymoon periods, their passionate relationship soon turned fiery. Due to the distance between them, their relationship became emotionally intense and difficult. Renee could not spend much time with people outside of her family for fear of setting Brayden off, something evidenced by the 11,000 text messages sent between them over the period of March 2013 and June 2013. In some of these messages, Brayden would tell Renee to cover up if he felt she was wearing something too revealing. Brayden would bombard Renee and Camilla with texts telling them that Renee better not cheat on him. One New Year's Eve, Brayden texts Renee saying the relationship was over, accusing her of cheating on him with her ex-boyfriend Angus, who she had since started a platonic friendship with. In April 2012, Renee's mum liked to post on Facebook that Angus had put up. Apparently, this sparked a hell rage within Brayden, a man in prison for killing someone and who had only been dating her daughter for just over four months and he sent Renee's mum abusive messages, one stating that she was an unfit mother liking her daughter's ex-boyfriend's posts. Sir, you're in prison? Your best friend is dead and you're responsible for that. So I think you probably have more important things to focus on than what Teresa is liking on Facebook. Chill out. Unsurprisingly, Teresa told her daughter what happened and that she didn't like Brayden, which is fair enough. She told Renee she felt that he was rude and arrogant, which is putting it lightly, and Renee agreed to end the relationship. They would, however, stay friends. Renee and Brayden continued to keep in touch, with Renee expecting him to be released in August 2012, and they could finally continue their relationship romantic or otherwise, in a physical sense. However, in September 2012, Renee took an overdose and was taken to hospital, where the medical notes state, Boyfriend spent a year in prison and was out on parole. Boyfriend had a fight with his father after being out of jail. Father pressed charges 
and boyfriend is back in prison for two years. Patient is upset as she doesn't have any contact with boyfriend. It appears that Braden had been released from prison, but had quickly been rearrested and locked away for another two years. As the romantic relationship between herself and Braden grew rockier, Renee began dating a work colleague, Ian, but continued to keep in contact with Braden. Braden and Ian were aware of each other, and Braden, being his usual charming self, would send Ian threatening text messages. In January 2013, Renee and Ian got engaged. But only two months later in March, Ian gave Renee an ultimatum. Commit to me and stop messaging him or go be with Brayden. Renee, still smitten with the bad boy who she'd spoken with for just over a year, chose Brayden. From that point onwards, Renee and Brayden stayed together. Renee started a new job and told her colleagues all about him. In July 2013, whilst Braden went through a court case to see whether he could be freed into the general population, they did not have any contact. That didn't stop Renee from messaging him, sending unanswered messages throughout the month and complaining to colleagues that it was too difficult for her to not be in contact with him. On the 5th of August 2013, Renee was expecting to finally hear the outcome of Braden's court case. When she messaged him to ask, he responded after a month of silence. I think we need a break, and so do you. This was a devastating blow for Renee. She was at work when she read the message and spent her lunch hour crying and shaking in the cafeteria. She told her manager she was leaving early for the day, explaining the situation which her colleagues had become familiar with. As she left, Renee made a call to Goulburn Prison in the hopes of speaking with Braden. But it's not clear whether she was granted this request. When she arrived home, telling her mum she was fine despite arriving home early from work with no explanation... Renee went about her usual routine, removing her makeup, getting changed, and texting Brayden. In the time she spent at home, she sent Brayden up to nine text messages. And shortly after receiving the last one, Brayden texted his best friend Teresa, eloquently saying, Sort your daughter out, threatening to kill herself. Teresa asked why she would want to do that. Braden, proving himself again to be a gentle wordsmith, simply replied, Ask her yourself. Teresa went up to Renee's room, who rebuffed the allegation that she wanted to kill herself. When Teresa asked why Braden would say otherwise, Renee told her mum to ignore him, saying, I finally found out what he's all about. Don't worry, mum. It's all over. Placated, Teresa got ready and went to leave the house to pick up her three younger children. When she left, she saw that Renee was getting dressed and putting makeup on, 
I'm going to dinner with friends, Renee told her mum when asked. And then Teresa left, not knowing that would be the last time she saw her daughter alive. Instead of meeting friends for dinner, Renee drove out to the Gap, an ocean cliff on the South Head Peninsula in eastern Sydney. In the car as she drove was a Valentine's Day card from Braden, and as she pulled up to the cliff edge, she used her finger to write that she loved Braden on the windows of her car. She took out her phone and texted three people her best friend Camilla, her mother, and Braden, waiting a short time in the hopes he would reply. When he didn't, as her final act, she threw her phone off the cliff. She then jumped to her death. Renee Marsden was 20 years old. At 7.50pm, Teresa texts Camilla asking if she had heard from Renee. Camilla answered that she hadn't, and when she tried contacting Renee, her phone was off. Camilla told Teresa that she had last heard from Renee at 5.47pm via text, where Renee had told Camilla she was sorry and she loved her. This was a huge concern for the pair, and they joined together to search for Renee. They went looking for Renee in the usual places she would hang out, but when they couldn't find her, the police were quickly notified. Police made inquiries and checked Renee's mobile phone service provider. They could see that the phone was switched off at 5.58pm in the vicinity known as The Gap. And at 8.45pm that same day, police located Renee's car about 150 metres from The Gap steps. Renee's shoes were also found on the path, but there was no sign of Renee. When Teresa tried contacting Braden about the discovery, there was no reply. And the reason why there was no reply was because Braden's spateri never existed. As the police commenced their investigation, they quickly focused on Renee's relationship with Braden. Even quicker than that, they realised that there was nobody called Braden Spateri at the prison, and the person Renee had been communicating with for 17 months was a complete fabrication. So, who exactly had Renee been talking with all that time? During an interview with Senior Constable Robinson, Camilla described Braden's appearance and told her that Renee had never spoken about her relationships and that Camilla wasn't allowed to be friends with Renee, according to her parents. She provided a two-page handwritten statement about what she knew. She complied with police questioning. But at the end of the meeting, Senior Constable Robinson said to Camilla, I want you to be honest with me. The telephone call logs that I have here in front of me suggest that you are Braden. Are you? No, I know a lot of people think I am. Everyone is against me. I wish I was where Renee is now, wherever she is. I just want to have the peace she is feeling now. We could be together. Do you think she's really gone? Uh, that's kind of sus to me, hun. Like, a lot of people think you're Braden. What the fuck is that about? That's weird. 
It didn't take long after this interview for the lies and deceit to quickly be unravelled. And on the 23rd of December 2013, during a search of Camilla's bedroom, she disclosed to Senior Constable Walker leader, I was sending the text messages to Renee before I left for America in March. Renee asked me to. <laughs> she wanted me to pretend that I was Brayden. <laughs> when asked, why would Renee put, want you to pretend to be Brayden? Camilla replied, I don't know. I just did it because she wanted me to. Mm. I didn't do anything else. What's going to happen to me? Oh, you fucking... She said, Camilla said the reason they created the character of Braden Spiteri was that they could be together because apparently the families wouldn't approve. She said, this was the only way of them being together. The only way. There's no other way. None. I've given it one second of thought and there's absolutely no other way. This is the only way. This is, you know, the only way for us to be together. My hands are tied. There's no other options. This is what we need to do. Camilla claimed that she and Renee thought up Brayden on the 7th of November 2011 and they had gone to a Vodafone shop together to register the SIM card that would bring Brayden to life. So why would Renee kill herself when she knew it was Camilla and it was Camilla behind Brayden breaking up with her? And if Camilla is lying, and she was catfishing Renee, which she was, why? Why? To understand the relationship between Renee and Camilla, we need to travel back in the way, way back machine, all the way, many, many years, thousands of hundreds of years, in the past, to 2005. Renee had started high school at Mount St. Benedict's College. In year nine, when she was about 13 or 14, Renee and Camilla became friends, with Renee telling her cousin Stephanie that Camilla did not like her boyfriend at the time. They began hanging out more, skipping school and smoking cigarettes. Renee's family noticed that her grades had begun to suffer and her attitude had changed from outspoken and outgoing to being withdrawn. Renee disclosed to her cousin that Camilla would push her sometimes and punch her, leaving bruises. And despite Stephanie's pleas for Renee to remove herself from Camilla and their friendship, they continued to be friends throughout school. Things escalated even further when Camilla began trying to kiss Renee. She wrote her love letters and bought her gifts. She would switch quickly between love and affection, to seduction, to violence, leaving Renee guessing how she would feel next. Renee's family did not approve of the friendship, trying to end it on multiple occasions, but they would always end up back in contact, with Camilla even buying Renee a phone so they could still communicate when Renee's parents stopped paying her phone bill. Renee admitted she was scared of Camilla, telling Stephanie that when they had started both training to become hairdressers, Camilla had chased her down the hall and pulled her hair. When Renee started dating Angus in 2010, her relationship with Camilla deteriorated. Camilla would follow Renee, bombard her with texts and calls, and turn up to her workplace unannounced. 
It got so bad that Renee instigated a meeting between herself, Camilla and their mothers at a local cafe, which ended with Teresa having to physically intervene so Renee could leave. Another example of Camilla's controlling and possessive relationship with Renee was in June 2013. Renee and a friend Melanie had gone to watch Camilla play soccer. When Camilla had scored a goal, Renee and Melanie had been chatting so they'd missed it. This apparently upset Camilla so much that she started a huge argument and refused to drive Renee home. Camilla then sent abusive texts to Renee afterwards and then used the Braden persona to manipulate Renee even further. In these texts, Braden defends Camilla, leaving Renee confused and isolated, a tactic Camilla used again and again, turning the two people closest to Renee against her. There are so many other recorded instances of Camilla emotionally, verbally and physically abusing Renee, that if I were to sit here and read through them all, we'd be here all night. But Camilla was displaying textbook abusive behaviour, so love bombing, stalking and physical abuse, and there's even online communication that indicates there was some sporadic sexual contact between the pair, with it looking like Renee was coerced into whatever happened between them just to appease Camilla, which is totally believable and does happen all the time mostly in romantic relationships, but obviously this is a different case where they're just supposed to be platonic friends. So, you know, it must have been extremely confusing. Bearing in mind, Renee's 20. I don't think I've mentioned how old Camilla was. She's 27. In 2013, Renee is 20 and Camilla's 27. That is just ridiculous. The aged gap. Seven years is not you know, a huge gap, but it does make a difference when you're early 20s to nearly 30. It's clear that Camilla was obsessed with Renee and wanted to have a romantic relationship was obviously not reciprocated by Renee. Instead of accepting this and moving on, Camilla abused Renee, never letting her go, following her in every aspect of her life, and finally creating a man that Renee would find attractive so they could finally be together. As Renee's relationship with Braden grows, she decides to cut ties with Camilla in the summer of 2013, and this appears to be the catalyst that ultimately leads to Renee's untimely death. Whilst Camilla was away on vacation, Renee messaged her to end the friendship, She told her mum that she was fed up of being frightened and fed up of being physically abused by her apparent best friend. She sent a text on the 27th of July 2013. The contents of the text are unknown but it's believed that this is the message ending the friendship. This is further evidenced by the fact that they didn't speak to each other again until the 5th of August which is when Brayden ended the relationship between him and Renee and Renee then sent the final text saying goodbye. During the inquest, despite being faced with Renee's grieving family and the mounting pile of evidence that she acted alone, Camilla stuck to her lies that Renee was in on it and that they were in a secret lesbian relationship. Thankfully, the coroner, Elaine Truscott, 
condemned Camilla for her lies and said she felt that Camilla had exacted the ultimate revenge by making Braden break Renee's heart. Camilla remained seemingly unaffected as she sat and listened to others say their piece, showing no glimmer of remorse to the family she had just torn apart. Unfortunately, Camilla never faced criminal charges and walked free following the inquest. Catfishing is not a crime in Australia except when it leads into an already defined criminal category such as financial fraud. However, Renee's family are fighting to change this and want to introduce Renee's law so her death is not in vain and so they can protect other families from the devastation caused by online catfishing. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of Murderbird, the first episode of season two. Do you hear the changes, the echoes, the traffic? Oh my God, I'm just spoiling you. If you'd like to support us, um, just follow on Instagram or Twitter at MurderbirdPod. Um, You can email me if you want, MurderbirdPod at gmail.com. I say it every episode, but I'm going to keep on saying it. Um, Otherwise, I will be back with a new episode next week. Um, So, yeah, see you then.